Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. This is Eleanor, executive producer for Unwell, and I am so psyched to have uh, four members of our cast hanging out here in Jeffrey's living room with me tonight to chat about the show and how it comes together and what what we do. Uh, so we're going to do a quick run around the circle. Uh, tell me your name your pronouns, and who you play on the show before we jump in. Joshua K. Harris, he, him, I play Rudy. Marsha Harmon, she, her, I play Dot. Mark Soloff, he, him, I play Silas Lodge. Ellie Maitland, she, her, I'm the waitress. And back to me, this is Eleanor, executive producer, she, her. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Okay, so I am going to ask this question that was inspired by a conversation we were having earlier before we turned all the mics on. Um... I know that for a lot of folks, when you do like dialects, you have you often have like a phrase or a sentence that you use to as like your entry point into it. Um, so I'm curious if you have a, like a favorite dialect phrase, and we'll share that. And then I have a follow up question. Let's share your silly fun dialect phrases. Well, I'll share mine because it has a it has a double an extra unwell tie in, uh, and uh, the phrase is for a, and I'm really not sure actually. I think this is like an Edinburgh Scotland accent, which is, I wrote about Hatfield because I live down the road from it, which is a line that Bilal Dardai said in a play that New Leaf Theatre produced in 2007 called The Permanent Way, which is a. Uh, docudrama about the privatization of British Rail, which sounds like it would be the most dry, boring thing you've ever seen, but it was one of the most like vibrant and exciting pieces of theater that I ever got to be a part of. Um, but so he he played a character who was a, a journalist, a writer from Scotland, and that was the opening line of his monologue when that character was introduced. And that that sentence has always just come into my mind. Bilal Dardai does a mean Scottish accent. Will, will you do it one more time? I wrote about Hotfield because I lived down the road from it. Very good. That's very fun. I haven't, um, like, legit done a dialect. Like a, well, I, <laughs> I haven't done an international, something that is non-American uh, English in a very long time. Um, but I do have, like, some sort of catchphrases or sounds that help me get into voice for various characters. Um, I do a podcast, a comedy podcast of my own, and for a long time, I hosted it as a uh, Dottore character from the Commedia dell'arte tradition, and he has, he's supposed to be like a big round 
um, pompous, arrogant scholar, like with a Renaissance garb on. Um, <clears throat> and to get into that voice, I always go, oh, 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 yes, oh, my name is Dottore Belordo. <laughs> oh, the podcast is called Blastro Podcast, like a gastropod, but a blastropod. Although, truth be told, I um, changed it <laughs> mid mid journey uh, to a different podcast where I improvise movies, um, also a comedy thing, but Dottore is not uh, present in that. And that one's called Muffed Movies, but it's on the Blaster Podcast feed. And the the Silas voice is a little bit of my, um, was it Benedict or the two brains from Our Fair City? Benedict and one? Balthazar. 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 Yes. So <laughs> when I say like, when I say the name Balthazar, I'm kind of channeling a Christopher Lee, and I definitely took a bit of that Christopher Lee kind of thing. Um, and so saying Balthazar gets gets me half the way there, and then I occasionally do a little like Don Knotts. You know what are you guys? <laughs> What are you guys on? You're lost in the, the woods. I want to shit. <laughs> oh, so that this was absolutely going to be my follow up question was like, how do you get into your unwell character? Because I because right, because you guys have all talked. You, you, you've talked about how we record and then we like go away for a whole year and then you come back. So, yeah, no, that was absolute. Mark, you like went right to my follow up, which Woo! is like, what's the version of this for your unwell character when you're like sliding back into it? It's fun. It's fun to do. It's fun to do acting. Um, I heard, so back when I was like a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young actor, I uh, loved to listen to audio commentaries um, (laughs) before the internet. Uh, And John DiMaggio, the voice actor from like a million things, including Futurama, he said that to create a voice, he loves to take different like impressions or different elements and combine like three impressions into one voice. And it's no longer uh, identifiable as Don Knotts because he's added Arnold Schwarzenegger and JFK. Um, And he would dissect them. I'm not that good, but I really like that idea to like plug in many sounds to make a voice. I've definitely heard Dana Carvey uh, uses a very similar um, recipe when he's building impressions. So it might not necessarily be like an impression of a person won't just be that person. It'll be that person with a couple other elements of other well-known celebrities. So there's that added absurdity that makes it not only just an impression, but someone that he can inhabit for the duration of a sketch. I think it's true that a lot lot of voice artists actually just kind of catalog voices as they go through life. I know Hank Azaria often talked about like the comic book guy was just uh, a guy who lived in his dorm when he was in college. He just did that voice. Cause it's like, as soon as he read these lines, like, Oh, that's that guy. Um, or his, uh, what's, I think it was his Mo. He was doing some dinner theater or something at a time and doing a poor Pacino impression and um, basically, that was his motivation behind Mo was a poor Pacino, uh, <laughs> and it kind of came from there. Um, yeah, so we just you know we catalog things we hear and use them again. And it's also like uh, the sustainability, I think, is a big thing too. Like this is not related to anything I do with uh, Heart Life, but there was a, a character with another podcast that I do uh, predominantly sound uh, artwork 
with, but um, I kind of shoehorned in more of a presence for the the spokesman of their soap opera, Lucky Duck Soap, where it was just supposed to be, you're using soap, you lucky duck, and then a couple of quacks at the end. And there are people out there that do like excellent impressions of ducks. <laughs> and I'm not necessarily one of them, but what I wanted to do was have like a root that could then be like used as versatilely as possible. So you just start with the two quacks. And then as things get more absurd through different uh, um, iterations of the slogan or the advertising, then the, the duck can have more of a sentient dialogue with what's going on in its world by being confused. <laughs> Or <laughs> affronted, <laughs> <laughs> downright enraged. <laughs> so just finding something that you can build off of and uh, have more adventures with and more of a, uh, an organic relationship with and allow it to grow can be a big part of building any character vocally. I think that's very smart. And that's, that's actually brilliant. perhaps a mistake I made when I first started playing Rudy because I, the audition I did was, um, it's in the season one episode where Rudy and uh, Abby and Lily are trapped in the basement and there's all the mannequins and they're in the dark. And Rudy talks about, I believe, the theory of story and, and the importance of story to, um, to humanity. Or, and he goes on a long monologue as he has wanted to do. And, um, and for whatever reason, my take on it, involved like once he gets going he doesn't stop for a breath and he just you know just it just builds and builds and he thinks he's being very inspiring now <laughs> i get so out of breath doing rudy there have been many times where um i'll finish a take or i'll still be in the middle of it and jeffrey will have to ask me to take another go at it and try to connect these two words as part of the same sentence. And so there's not this gaping <gasps> in the middle of a, in the middle of a take. And so that I, I should have heard your ideas about sustainability. Uh, when we first went into this, when unwell is finished, you can dive right into Gilbert and Sullivan and you'll just be like, so, oh, right. so prepared for that long work. Absolutely. Ellie, I'm envious of some of the characters that I've seen you play on stage because you did a lot of work with Wild Claw Theater. Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. Well, I'm a, such a charitable soul. <laughs> Wild Claw being a local Chicago theater that specializes in horror. Yeah. And she played um, like an embodiment of um, uh, like, I don't know if it was starvation or wasting away. Oh, I didn't even realize you saw that show. Yeah. I think that must have been Dread. Uh, Scotty Barsati. Oh, yeah, a colleague of yours. Too hotty from- Barsati, as we called him in college. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's scams. Well. Yeah. Um, and you were in his the adaptation that he wrote of... Uh, uh, Shadow for Innsmouth. Innsmouth, yes. yes. And you were like a human transforming into a fish creature. Like you do. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, you can't you sit next that. to me on this bus. Like... <laughs> Like, what an awesome part to play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they did not want anyone sitting next to them on the bus. They were too shellfish. Uh, uh, 
but yeah, Boom. the relationship between uh, voice acting and also physicality is something that's really fun to explore also. And again, makes for a really safe place in the recording studio because you might be contorting yourself into some very absurd positions for the sake of making your voice sound right. And I guess that's probably also another thing that sustainability would lend itself to because you don't want to be like tying yourself up in knots and be like, oh, I've got a three minute monologue in this ca- <laughs> position in this character now. Oops. Turn the page. <gasps> No, I actually, and I don't know if this is quite the same topic, but hearing you talk about that and doing those voices, I am so jealous of both of you and probably a few other performers in the show who get to do these almost completely removed, 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 remove them, (laughs) remove them. These characters that are so removed from humanity almost. Mm -hmm. um, and, And you get to do such incredibly fun voice work that is totally of your own um, making. And, you know, coming into the show, I was thinking like, ooh, I hope they'll let me do these little side um, big voices and little voices and, you know, all this. And like, oh, I ought to play uh, a generally speaking real person and just <laughs> and just have a, like a character arc and, and like try to, you know, have um, relatable emotions. Oh, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> I've come to terms with that. Uh, and I like, I like it quite a lot, but I, it's, it's really fun uh, watching and listening to to Mark, to Ellie, to other people who do these uh, otherworldly sort of voices or these voices that do not have their roots in the everyday average human experience. Yeah. So kind of you. Thank you. And also, again, I'm going to shout out to the sound design team because they yes. make everything that we do uh, go to 11 on the regs <laughs> oh, sure. in a way that's mm-hmm. super gratifying and exciting because they're like really the the final extension of the character is like they're um they're like the special effects mm-hmm. yes yes yeah and i wouldn't feel too badly about being one of the like primary human <laughs> good guys good people um because guess what no one makes loving fan art of silas lodge <laughs> oh. <laughs> they will now audience you know what to do right? <laughs> that's right get to work um yeah this better come out before valentine's day Oh boy, just just like a picturesque, uh, like serene moment of him walking the dogs, like. Uh, Can we like- get Zaddy Silas Lodge? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I think the grass is always greener on the other side. When you're a normal human, you're like, oh, if only I were a star monster. And when you're a star monster, it's like, what? I'm only in four scenes in this season. Oh, yeah, I guess yeah. I am a star monster. <laughs> <laughs> Normal yeah. humans take precedent. Well, jealousy is how I express my love for others. <laughs> More like guest star monster. <laughs> hey, <laughs> featured star monster. Yikes. I gotta say, uh, real quick, when we're talking about um, uh, Zaddy Silas walking the dogs through the uh, through the forest, I was uh, doing a. Uh, an audio drama festival a couple of years ago and I don't I don't remember his name I'm a bad person but the actor that played one of the the picnic lovers at the end of season 1 was there and was ta- and Chris yeah was talking about this uh, project he just got to do a one-off on. He was so excited about, it. and I said, "Oh, I kill you!" <laughs> so it's a really fun way to bond. <laughs> oh, I know about that project. I got to murder you. Yes, I'm the I'm what ate you at the end. It's the beginning of a good romance. I killed Josh in our first show together. Aww. That's true. Yeah. 
Uh, ghosts I, and zombies. I, I usually shot him, but with the night when the gun didn't go off, I killed him with an axe. So not not for nothing. I did not ask this ahead of time, but I do kind of want to make you tell the story of how you two met because it's so like gothic horror adjacent. <laughs> yes, and um, uh, if I were to tell the story. Uh, Marcia and I met doing a show called Ghosts and Zombies uh, that began rehearsals in summer of 2017. However, cut to Marcia. We actually met three years before that in a staged reading. So that on the first day of rehearsal uh, for Ghosts and Zombies, uh, which was an adaptation of Henrik Ibsen's Ghost, but with zombies, and it's totally, totally supported by the text. Because Syphilis the, becomes zombies. Well, and the original Norwegian word that we translate as ghosts is actually like more accurately translated as like again walkers, like those who walk again. Oh, nice. Anyway, okay, right. It's it's in there. It's in there. It's amazing. So right. So at the end of oh that was that was another good wild claw show. Uh, so at the end of uh, the first rehearsal, Josh comes up and he's like, "That was really nice to meet you." Actually, we've met. Um, <laughs> Which was like fine. I'm not mad about it. It was four years ago. But we did. Like, I wasn't even mad about it then. But we but did a staged he was reading. So embarrassed. We did a staged reading that had a performance and it had like three rehearsals. And I and at some point I said to her, "But no, I mean there was this guy in it and this lady and this lady." She goes, "And me." And me. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was and I kept listing off the people who were totally in it, but kept not naming her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have Just no memory of it. Digging yeah. deeper, oh. I remembered everybody mm-hmm. but me. I was mm-hmm. also there. Mm-hmm. But her no. event. Her revenge is that, I mean, she played the central character and my character, who's in the original Ghosts, but in this version becomes a zombie at the end, in the big final zombie melee, um, you know, mm-hmm. she gets to shoot my head off with yep. a revolver. Mm-hmm. And then certain nights it didn't work. So our fight choreographer, uh, Victor Bayona, if anybody knows him, uh, worked out a, an alternate solution where she used an axe to... Uh, the back the back side of an axe with my non-dominant hand. Uh, got shoved right into my skull via my eye. And um, either way, lots of blood and it hit the audience. This was an incredibly badass performance. It's true. It's the exception to my badass Right, like I've seen, Marsha, I have seen you in so many plays because we've been friends a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember guarding this one and just being like, this is so much fun to watch. (laughs) Um, And there was so so much much combat in this show that if you sat in the first row, they gave you a poncho. Awesome. <laughs> was a lot. This is Aquavit. Aquavit, yeah. 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 But the coda to that is that uh, we actually got married uh, during this pandemic uh, last August. And a wedding gift that was given to us was they tracked down the acts. And, um, and they, I think, what did they write on they the They like, you know, what, uh, what, what fate has joined together and let no one tear us under yes. or something. So, um, and they, uh, our date... It still needs to be mounted on our wall. (laughs) We have it. So you married an axe murderer. Oh! Whoa, man. So I want to ask, do you have any favorite experiences working on Unwell? Uh, I'm going to go back to it being about the people and uh, the tradition that y'all have instilled of starting every season with that group read where as many of us are together as possible is always just a really rejuvenating uh, opportunity to connect with everyone and also just share the shocks of everything that's uh, coming out of the story 
that like all the writers have uh, been working on so hard for months or year or what have you and just getting to unwrap those presents together and the tradition of just like flopping the hard copy scripts into the center of the room at the end of each uh, scene is also just really fun and and feels very family. I That reminds me actually of our very first time all together um, in our previous space where we met for a full day um, and read through all of season one. Um, Jeffrey was there, Eleanor was there, all the writers. Um, most, if not all of the cast, um, I don't think we got to have all the designers or anything there necessarily, but um, we got to be in a room reading all of this together for the first time. And there was exactly what you were saying. There were so many Michael Turrentine um, <laughs> reactions uh, to plot developments. And we got to hear people um, give voice to these words for the first time. And like, oh, that's what Lily sounds like. And that's what this person sounds like. Um, and I also remember one of our writers um, had very recently had um, a little little baby. And, um, and that baby got passed around that room um, and parented and loved by that room. So that writer could be free to actually listen and do their job. Yeah, and- that was that was miraculous to me because I was and I had been thinking recently on another production I was working on a stage show where the set designer had a like a five year old and she would bring him to tech and he was like sleeping on the couch in the hallway. How like uh, for you know p- particularly women, but like working parents in the arts in in especially creative endeavors that are not your full-time job that like it takes the whole, it takes the whole company to make it work. It took like four or five different people who were not actors in the scene or who were not the people who wrote the scene to be like, Oh sure. I'll walk with your baby into the hallway so that you can listen to the scene and the baby won't bother you and nobody. Transparently we, we prepped that. So that was Jessica Wright Buha. Her daughter Molly was an infant at that first read through of that season and Molly had been in a number of writers meetings leading up to that um and we would just pass her around and and so going into that full read I was like it's really important that just be able to actually like pay attention and work and so there were a number of people on the team who I reached out to in advance of that to say like um how do you feel about like taking baby duty and basically I did, there was just like a couple of people that I was like okay so this is the thing that's happening. And so like, I need like three or four people in the room who can just kind of like swoop in and take Molly off Jess's hands if needed. And like, you know, the team stepped up and it makes a big difference. Yeah. Well, that says a lot. Cause I mean, from our experience, it was like, look at this room full of, right. You're talking about it. Like it was magic. And I just wanted to share that. Like, no, we prepped that. Great. There's no magic in the world. Um, um, Magic is people. It it wasn't miraculous, but it did feel like miraculous. It felt like really special. A lot of us who just didn't know each other yet. And we're just so seamlessly taking care of this child for this person who needed that in the moment. Um, But that also speaks to Eleanor and I will include Jeffrey. um, And the way that you both underpin everything with safety and care um, and just a lot of forethought for what the experience will be like in the room on the day um, that makes it so easy for the rest of us. When we talk about, oh, I'll show up five times a year and I'll record something into a mic. Well, that's not the experience for everybody. (laughs) Um, For the two of you and for our designers, we, I know that they're, (laughs) that experience can look very different. Um, Enjoyable, I'm sure, but, but 
not like that. And and I, I was articulating to somebody in my life recently that um, I would define the job of a producer. And I've been a theater producer. I've been a podcast producer. Like I've, I've been an event producer. Like I've done this in a lot of different spaces. And I feel like a cr- the thing across all of them is that I think that the job of a producer is to make sure that your team and your audience always feel safe and supported in the thing that they're trying to do. And that is is a thing that can be interpreted in a real in a lot of different directions. But like that's always sort of I feel like that's for me the the central thing of like whether or not I feel like I'm doing my job well. It's like does my team and does my audience feel like they can show up and do the thing and feel safe and supported. Job successfully done. Um, Thanks. Thanks guys. There's so much uh, conversation right now about like how problematic the, at least in the Chicago scene, the the theater industry is, especially for uh, folks that are trying to uh, create art around or through uh, full-time jobs and the um the calls for accountability and transparency in all of the uh, production practices those really stem from a need for uh, pragmatism and empathy mm. and I think those are two things that y'all consistently bring to the table and so thank you for that and I'll branch off that and say that while I'm complimenting Eleanor and Jeffrey I'll also compliment Jeffrey on direction specifically because we have been so disparate, especially in this last season. Um, and it would have been very easy for all of this to come across very disjointed. But I know that it wasn't because when you're recording in a room with Jeffrey, um, Jeffrey lets you play, but also will come back and say, hey, could we get this out of this take? And then I realize, like, oh, that's what makes it work with the other person's line <laughs> or, or this other scene that's going to happen. And um, it, I mean, and that's what direction's always been about, but to get to watch it happen in real time and unsuccessfully, it, it's beautiful. I would also throw in that like the, uh, the protocols that the team put in place for us to be able to record safely during COVID pre-vaccines, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of really simple things it was a small group of recording. It was, we sat far apart from each other. We were all wearing masks. When we got into the recording studio, our mics were so much far, like, like we were together, but we were so far away, um, you know, and we had the the mics and then like an extra screen. So there were so many, like, like just the joy of being physically in the same room with someone was great, but then also the safety of not being very close to them. Um, and, and, and knowing that like, if I did like, like, I think the rehearsal I missed or the recording session that I missed, like I wasn't that sick. I, I, it wound up kind of being nothing, but everybody was on the same page of like, we are not taking any chances. This is nobody's like, I'm not being a problem by saying I don't feel well. And I'm not coming in. Nobody's mad about it. Everybody's kind of relieved that it's like not a thing you have to worry about, you know? So that really created a, a safe space. And to highlight how important and cool that is, we've all worked many places where that wouldn't go over that way. Yeah. We got to normalize being able to say no. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just say if anybody, if any listeners are curious, we, we took our protocols for recording during the pandemic and we published them publicly. Um, and we can link to these in the show notes for this, assuming we don't cut this bit. Uh, 
because we we did share that stuff and you know I, your mileage may vary i also the world has changed a lot since last summer but um yeah, not enough. Uh, but if anybody is curious, kind of like the the ins and outs of how we navigated that, um, it is it is available to take a look at more closely. I want to ask. Uh, so we've aired three seasons. You all have gotten to read season four. Uh, nobody else has heard it. So if you share any spoilers, I promise we'll bleep them out. If you could ask for something for your character before the show ends, what would you ask for? I would like for Dot a torrid love affair, real or imagined, with Rusty Standish. I think we all want that. <laughs> yes! Yeah. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Thank you. <laughs> I've always wanted... Rudy to get to go to space, but since that's the whole theme of season four, maybe. <laughs> um, no, you know what? Actually, what I genuinely want for Rudy, <laughs> given the way things have been going, I want Rudy to have one at length, really friendly, heartfelt conversation with somebody. <laughs> Does Spencer count? Well, yeah, yeah. I guess that's always happening. We just don't get to hear it. We just don't know Spencer's side. Oh, hi. I don't know how long it takes for a Grubhub driver's reviews to aggregate so they are no longer eligible. (laughs) But boy, do I want the waitress to find out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Two things. Um, When I auditioned... For Silas, um, one, some direction I got was first take the voice deeper. So I was experimenting with like a real willowy, wispy little guy. Um, and then do that monologue he does in episode one about the woodcutter um, and uh, transform into a monstrous wolf as you are telling the story. And I was like, yes, please. Um, so I would love if Silas could, uh, could do some mutation transformation stuff and that, that, that I could also do that with my voice and it wouldn't only be a sound effect or something. The other thing, um, I would like to see Silas in his alive form. Um, if that is even the same guy as we know Today, I'd like to see. Um, I'd like to see who it is that Silas loved in life, because I believe that Silas had a love, um, and I would like to see him interact with that uh, person or thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily need to see like the origin story, but I'd like to see what was this. Th- Thing when it was human. What was Dracula when it was just uh, 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 Vladimir Tepish? Also, can can the Fenwood House get a cat? <laughs> we say because there is a cat wandering through our legs quite wonderfully. A perfect, perfect. Uh, there is a there. There's a thing early on where um, Abby suggests that they're paying the cat the pet fee at the house just in case a cat makes. Mm. 
makes its way into their life. And I mean, and I've always kind of imagined that that might end up being the like postscript to the very last episode. <laughs> it would be like every other, every other plot point in the entire show has been settled. And then the very last thing, Abby, it's a cat. <laughs> the credits run and then you hear that the bells of the door opening. Meow. Yeah. Yeah. There is an Abby cat connection because when Abby's spelunking, uh, they hear the story of the curious cat that, that terrifying, got mushed up. That's a that yeah. I, mm. how to make oh. cat bread is what it, the story should be called. It's a Wolf. recipe. When Jim brought that episode to the writers' meeting for the very first time, uh, we all sat down and and we all opened the scripts. And Jim went, "I want to apologize before we read this specifically to Eleanor and Jeffrey." Does anybody else own a cat? No, just the two. I'm specifically to Eleanor and Jeffrey. And then we read the episode and I just like, I spent the entire time just like curled up, like my whole body just like reacting to how awful it was. Yeah. I had a lot of feelings about that. I mean, it's, it's good horror. Oh yeah. Cause it made me feel some things. Yeah. 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 It's just, eh. Well, I can't promise that we can work all those desires into uh, future seasons, but I will report back. I will share that with the writing team and see what see what we can do. Thank you all so much. This was really awesome. It's really rare that, particularly in this last year and a half, to get a bunch of folks together and just like hang out and talk about the work. So this has been a real joy for me and. Um, I'm excited to share all of this with our audience. So thanks, everybody. Thank Thank you. you. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Now playing from Voyage Media. A naked woman picked up the recently decapitated head of a goat that had been sitting in a large silver-colored bowl. She held the goat's head high above hers, its dull black eyes staring emptily as she threw her black hair and allowed the blood to trickle down the front of her body. When the lights go down, what stories really stick with you? Presenting Fever Dreams, an anthology of dark genre stories, horror, crime, sci-fi. My eyes settled on a crystal piece, the only thing hanging on any of the walls, a man's face set inside a raging sun. The eyes started to glow. Now playing from Voyage Media in association with Seven Lamb Productions, creators of the hit audio drama Tower 4. A new descent into darkness in every episode. Season 1 of Fever Dreams, a pulp collection. Available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.